is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Kolarsep, and another weekend in the books, another week in the books, and it's another Saturday drop, episode 302. We have a ton to get into, talk about, catch up on. It was a busy, busy week. Americans abroad, U.S. men's national team, U.S. under 23 men's national team, and of course, MLS. There's a lot going on in the MLS front. Uh, some big news dropping actually on Friday night, and which actually made it work out that I, I waited to, to record on Saturday uh, to drop this on Saturday. So I'm recording this late, 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 late Friday night. Actually, it's let's face it, it's Saturday morning, um, early, early morning. It's uh, almost 6 a.m. I'm recording this right now. Another all nighter for me. Call me crazy. But we have a lot to get into there. We'll get into MLS a little bit later on. But first, First things first, we have to talk about the Olympic qualifying roster for the U.S. under 23s. That's the big storyline for me heading into the week. And we we don't know the the camp squad just yet. Uh, Jason Kreis's team that he's taking down to Mexico. Uh, the 20 man roster will, the, the, for qualifying ha- hasn't been decided yet, but they will take a 28 player team to Mexico for a camp and then from there they'll decide who who's going to make the final 20 man roster but what we did find out was the 48 player roster for the preliminary squad and and, and it was an interesting group uh there was a lot to to dig into there when you when you saw the team that that Christ or the group that that Christ put out there and and of course the 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 thing that stood out first and foremost was the fact that there were so many European based players in that preliminary group. And you looked at it and you said, wait a minute, these guys aren't playing in Olympic qualifying. Is Brendan Aronson going to be available? That's where it was a little interesting, right? So you had Brendan Aronson on there. You had Conrad De La Fuente, Barcelona's Conrad De La Fuente. You had Brian Reynolds, uh, AS Romaloni, who from my understanding is actually in the U S and, and, and would be available for Olympic qualifying. Uh, whether he actually gets selected for that remains to be seen. We'll find out who the roster is on Monday. I believe uh, Monday is when, when Jason Christ is going to reveal his 28-player roster for the camp. And then from there, they're going to cut it down to 20. And uh, it's not easy. It's not going to be easy when you think about, uh, you know, three goalkeepers. That leaves you 17 field players. And, you know, there's a lot of talent in this group. Uh, when you look at the 48-player roster, and, uh, you know, obviously the European-based players, who who's realistically going to be available to be brought in? That's the kind of the big question. Brendan Aronson's in the middle of a season with uh, Red Bull Salzburg. I don't see him uh, being allowed to come in there as much as, you know, do you have him come in just to play Mexico in the, in the final group match, uh, as important as that is? I don't know if we see that. I don't know if you put a, if you use a roster spot on a player who could, you know, maybe only play one game. So realistically speaking, I don't know about that. I don't know if, I don't know if we'll see Aronson. I don't know if we'll see De La Fuente. Uh, Reynolds, I think would be available, but when you look at that right back position, there's other players there. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't know if we're going to dig into all the positions, but I don't get the sense that Reynolds is going to be a factor in this one. But there's some others. There's some other European-based players that when you look at what they're doing right now in their club situations and would their clubs allow them. And when you look at someone like Ulysses Yanez, who obviously his loan 
to Heron Vane was did not has not been a success. It's not been a good move. And as far as I know, he was in the United States. He actually is in the United States right now. He was dealing with some personal issues, some family issues. He left Heron Vane, and you know they. I don't. I don't get the sense that they they really cared. I think they were like, fine, go do what you got to do. Deal with what you got to deal with. He hadn't really become a part of Heron Vane's plan, so he's available, and he's a talented player. So I can see Jason Christ bringing him into that into that camp, into the into the twenty eight player camp. And then you have a player like Sebastian Soto, who as of right now isn't in Norwich City's plans. And also you have to consider the fact that U.S. Soccer really did Norwich City a favor by calling Soto in to that January camp. uh, I'm sorry, the December camp where he got a chance to play in a friendly that helped him uh, secure a work permit uh, to, to be able to move to Norwood city, move back to Norwood city and not have to be on loan somewhere. So if you kind of look at it that way, you know, us soccer did Norwood city the favor. Now, if he's not really playing for Norwood city, why not allow him to take part in Olympic qualifying? And let's face it is, is, is promising as some of the strikers are for, for that 48 players squad. Sebastian Soto is, is probably your starter. If, if you, you know, all things, all things being equal, when you look at, at the players that, that, are available uh, when you talk about the forwards. Uh, for me, I'm I'm probably going with I'm probably going with Sebastian Soto as the starting striker. Uh, when you when you look at that, obviously you know Jesus Ferreira is a false nine. You have that kind of thing. We saw that with the senior team, but I think Soto would be your guy. Uh, another one of the storylines. From the preliminary roster, Efren Alvarez. Uh, Efren Alvarez uh, was actually on the U.S. under-23 Olympic qualifying preliminary roster and the Mexico under-23 preliminary roster. So what is that about, right? Well, obviously, he's eligible for both. And he has played for Mexico. He played for Mexico in the under-17 World Cup. And in order for him to play for the United States in an official competition, he would have to file a one-time switch. And is he ready to do that? I don't really think that's the case. I don't think he's ready to make a decision as far as that goes. So I think really uh, the easier thing for him is to just go play for Mexico because that doesn't that doesn't tie him to Mexico. He already is uh, kind of aligned with them as far as FIFA is concerned. But playing in Olympic qualifying does not cap tie Efrain Alvarez. Neither would even playing in the Olympics, uh, to be clear. Uh, at his age and given the the current the current uh, guidelines with FIFA and, and dual nationals, Efrain Alvarez has time to make his decision. So when you consider that, you have to think, well, why would Alvarez tie himself now? Why would he file a one-time switch now to the United States and basically remove Mexico from the equation. Why would he do that now? He doesn't have to do that now. So I, I don't think he's going to be part of, of the Olympics, uh, Olympic qualifying setup for the United States. And, you know, ask yourself, is he, is he necessarily going to be part of the Mexico U23 setup? He's a, he's on their preliminary roster, but he's one of the youngest players in that group. And as talented as he is, you know, he's still not a first team player for the LA Galaxy. So he's still he's still young. He still has some developing to do. But if you're Mexico, do you take the chance of not calling him in? Do you take the chance of not including him on the U23 roster and, and Olympic qualifying roster and potentially make uh, the U.S. the U.S. soccer's job that much easier in terms of trying to convince uh, Alvarez to come over? So this has really become a you know a really interesting subject all week ever since those rosters came out and, and kind of the quote unquote tug of war and the fact that look Alvarez. In December, he took part in a senior team camp. He, he came and accepted the invite. He was part of the senior team setup 
for for the U.S. and had a chance to you know train and 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 speak to Berhal, Greg Berhalter and be a part of his setup. So you know he's open. Clearly he's open to to considering it. So he hasn't closed the door on it. And that's all you can hope for, really. If you if you're U.S. soccer, you know he's a talented player, bright future. He's still not there yet. He's still not you know. You plug him in, he's starting on your, he's a starting attacking midfielder for the U23s. I wouldn't say that either, but there's a, there's talent there. And he's, what is he, 18 still? He's still young. So you, if, if you have that chance to, to stay in the picture for him, and if you have that chance to kind of show him why it would be good for him to make the switch, then, you know, you do what you have to do, uh, if you're the U.S. And, and I know that, Obviously, U.S. soccer has taken criticism in the past about its its recruitment of dual nationals, specifically Mexican-Americans and, and, and kind of losing the battle with Mexico. There's been, you know, there obviously was that, that whole idea with with uh, Jonathan Gonzalez and Alvarez. Those were kind of they, they had both become kind of the poster children for that. And now Alvarez is back in play. So. You know, for me, I don't think he's going to be with the U.S. in Olympic qualifying. And I want to see what Mexico does because, you know, look, if they don't call him, all of a sudden, if you're Alvarez, you're kind of like, mm, maybe Mexico doesn't really, really want me. Or maybe, you know, it, it's it's a tricky one, actually. So if you're the U.S. Uh, and you're a U.S. fan, you kind of want Alvarez to be with the U.S., the U.S. is actually in a pretty good position because the pressure's on Mexico because, you know, if he gets turned off by Mexico and what Mexico is doing or how Mexico is handling him or how they're treating him, what happens? He files a switch and it's a wrap. It's done. Much like what happened with Jonathan Gonzalez when he was recruited, wined and dined. And, and you know, he was obviously told all this, you know, that about his future with Mexico. And guess what? He files a switch to Mexico. And once he did that, all bets are off. And now he's tied to the to, he's tied to Mexico no matter what. Even though you know, near as I can tell, he's not really part of their senior team setup. He was named to the preliminary Olympic qualifying roster. To be fair, Jonathan Gonzalez, but his career's kind of stalled a bit. So right now, I don't know if anyone's necessarily missing uh, Jonathan Gonzalez in terms of the U.S. men's national team setup. But Alvarez is the type of prospect you don't want to shut the door on if you don't have to, and if you can still potentially. Bring him into the fold. In terms of the rest of the squad, we'll find out on Monday, the, the 20, uh, 28-player roster. Uh, I'm very interested to see who who gets called in and what the starting lineup's going to look like because it's going to be an MLS-heavy team. And, you know, there, there's going to be some 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 really good positional battles when you look at, at who who's available, uh, who could be in contention. I mean, I tell you what, look at the right back position, right? Aaron Herrera, Julian Arahu, uh, two two very, uh, very talented right backs. Uh, Aaron Herrera looks like he's the he's got the edge right now. Arahu, another dual national, by the way, who can still play for Mexico. So you kind of look at that and say, all right, you know, he's obviously going to get uh, consideration. He's going to get. Uh, not to say they're whining and dining Arahu, but he's obviously someone that, you know, they, as far as U.S. soccer is concerned, they want to make sure they stay in his good graces. So, uh, you know, I think I think it's a, for that reason, I think it's a safe bet. We'll see Arahu uh, be part of the 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 28 man roster uh, for the for the camp. And why, you know, I think he'll get a call over someone like, say, Kyle Duncan or even Brian Reynolds. Brian Reynolds, who hasn't really been a part of this of this cycle, of this setup, of this age group. So, you know, if you're Jason Christ, you're going to go with who you know. Uh, and they he's obviously seen a lot more of Herrera, 
Herrera is his first choice right back, and Arahu. So I think we're going to see those guys. Uh, and, and obviously there's a lot of interesting midfielders as well. I mean, uh, one name to keep in mind uh, that, it was on the, that is on the preliminary roster is Johnny Cardozo, uh, who obviously made his, his debut with the senior team in November. And for those of you who don't know Johnny Cardozo, he's a midfielder for Internacional in Brazil. He was born in New Jersey, Jersey boy, right? Well, I mean, he lived there for like a minute. And then he obviously grew up in Brazil, uh, born, you know, basically raised most of his life in Brazil. And he's playing on a, t- a very good team in Internacional, who actually, in really crushing and, and heartbreaking fashion, just missed out on winning the Brazilian title. Uh, how close was it? Well, they actually had a goal disallowed late in their last game. And if that goal is a lot, if that goal stands, they win the league and they win their first you know, league title in, in, a, in, a, in a pretty good amount of time. But then the, but the goal was uh, disallowed, rightly so. And they lost the, They didn't win the title. So unfortunately for them, they didn't win. But Cardozo's season is over. So he's available. So, uh, you know, obviously we saw some of him with the senior team in November. And, you know, he showed some good things. He showed some good qualities there. He he is someone who Berhalter rates. And, and obviously if he was part of that group in November with the senior team. yeah, And you're looking at the defensive midfield uh, options in this pool. He, he's going to I think he's someone who's going to be in, uh, in the picture. I mean, you have some other guys in there, too, like, you know, Andres Perea, Hassani Dotson, Tanner Tessman. You know, there's quite a few. There's quite a few uh, of those defensive midfielders in that group. So, you know, you, you just wonder who who's going to get get the, you know, get chosen uh, when it's all said and done. Uh, actually, in midfield, there's, there's some really good battles uh, just in terms of also in, in, in the attacking midfield. Uh, when you look at the, the preliminary roster, obviously, Brendan Aronson's on the, on the squad, but he's not going to be available. Efren Alvarez, I don't I don't see him being available. I don't see him. You know, I think he's going to go with Mexico for now. Um, but still, you have Georgie Mihalovic, uh, you have Gianluca Busio. Does Busio get the call? Does, does Cole Bassett get the call? I mean, these are guys who, who were not part of the January U23 camp setup. So there's some of the younger prospects in the preliminary in the preliminary player pool. But obviously, they're coming off of huge MLS seasons. So, I mean, for me... I think you would take a look at those guys, but of course, you know Jason Christ, he's going to probably look at some of the older, some of the older players, and um, so we'll see, we'll see who he calls in on on Monday. But uh, a lot of options. Jason Christ has a lot of options, and and it's a team that I think once once you kind of sit down and consider what the starting eleven can look like, let's kind of project it out, right? My understanding is J, is J T. Marcinkowski's dealing with some kind of injury, so does he necessarily start, or do you see someone like either Matt Freeze or David Ochoa? Uh, get a chance to start in goal. Uh, and then, obviously, defensively, when you're thinking about a back four, obviously, Mark McKenzie's not in the picture. He wasn't even on the preliminary roster now that he's over in Europe and he's playing. Um, but I think, you know, Miles Robinson is one of your starters for sure. And then, you know, do you go with someone like Austin Trusty? Uh, you know, someone who, you know, hasn't hasn't been... He's been in the setup before, Um and now he's back in the mix as well. But then you have Henry Kessler coming off a really good rookie season with the New England Revolution. Mauricio Pineda, obviously Pineda was also part of the January camp setup. So there, there's some good, there's some good center back options there. Um, uh, you know, for me, I think it, Robinson, you know, Miles Robinson, someone who you would you would think would be uh, a, a possibility to start. But if he's not available, if he if for some reason he's not in the in the 28 uh, player camp squad. 
that definitely opens opens the door wide open because then you're kind of like who is your who is your your first choice uh, center back tandem for this for this Olympic qualifying and that's been an issue in the past uh, in terms of center backs having center backs who can play uh, center backs who have been getting games and I think the good news is there are actually some decent ones some some pretty good ones. Uh, particularly Kessler and Pineda, who are coming off of really good rookie seasons and who got plenty of playing time and I think would be good options for Jason Christ to start at center back. So, uh, you know, we, I feel like we went through mo- most of the positions with as far as the U23s. We'll, we'll dig into that, obviously, once the, the final squad is, is chosen, I believe. Uh, let's see when their first, their first game is actually still, you know, we're talking March 18th is the first, is their first game. Uh, we'll, we'll find out their, their, the final 20 man roster, uh, I believe is at least, at least a week away, maybe more than a week away. Uh, but once we get that final 20 man roster, 20 player roster, then we'll, we'll, we'll be able to really seriously look at what a potential starting lineup is. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing it because I think this is going to be a really talented group, even, even despite, all of the the top talent that's obviously not part of this that is eligible in terms of age when you when you talk about Christian Pulisic, McKinney, Tyler Adams, Giorena, I mean you name it, Josh Sargent, all these guys are Olympic eligible, but but obviously they're you know playing with their club teams, they're not getting released for this, and they're all knock on wood, they're all going to be part of of the 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 March friendlies for the senior team. So uh, that's exciting. Obviously, you're looking forward to seeing that group get together and start getting some games because it's a big year. It's a big year ahead for, for, for the senior team, which we, you know, we, we, for now I won't get, I won't dig into the senior team too much. We still don't know who the second friendly March friendly is going to be against. Uh, I've seen some rumblings about Jamaica. Nothing is official. Nothing's close to official. No one uh, with any kind of credibility has stepped forward to, to even try to report that Jamaica is going to be the team. Right. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. There's going to be, you know, knock on wood, there will be a second game. I mean, I, I'm kind of hoping that they find a, 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 a higher level opponent than Northern Ireland for their other match. But as I said last episode, it's not easy. It's not, you know, it, you can want to play all the big teams, but if they're all tied up, if they already have prior com- commitments, they're dealing with, you know, their own competitions that they're going to be playing in March. So it's not easy to go get a Spain or, or a Germany or an Italy or the Netherlands. You know, the, you know, it's not it's not easy. So or England. I mean, how great would that be to play England? But it doesn't look like those are going to happen and it's most likely going to be a lower ranked opponent. So. You know, it'll be disappointing for sure, but knock on wood, you just want to see the full senior team together and and as as close to healthy, uh, you know, as as you can get a group together for that. So we'll see. We'll see what happens now. Moving on to Americans abroad. And there is a ton to talk about with Americans abroad. Obviously, uh, this is our first show in a week. So this week, when you want to talk about Everything that could possibly happen in terms of there were there were good things, there were some really disappointing things, and there were some just out, outright brutal things. So we, we have to touch on all of them. First, we'll start with the Champions League, and Christian Pulisic did return to action. He, you know, he played a, hand, a couple of minutes off the bench for Chelsea, uh, and it was good just to see him back on the field. And it's kind of become this whole soap opera now about you know what his role is with Chelsea and with Thomas Tuchel and does Tuchel rate him? Is it going to get rid of him? This kind of be, it's become a whole thing now. Um, you've got some, you know, just some questionable rumors floating around as far as, you know, where he could go. Are they going to get rid of him? Bayern Munich. And, you know, it's all it's all started the usual the usual type stuff when it whenever a player looks like they might be, you know, in a in a 
tough spot or maybe they don't look like they're wanted or needed and you know are they going to make a move and obviously it all feels a little premature uh you know Pulisic's clearly been dealing with some physical issues and you know he's back he's healthy he trained he got a chance to play and the good news for him and Chelsea is Chelsea is is doing well under Tuchel they're undefeated and now they just got a big win against Atletico Madrid in their round of 16 first leg and uh, you know, Tuchel, man, he's showing everything. He's showing why Chelsea hired him. He's showing why they made the move. And, and, and you know, he's a, leg- he's a serious manager. And he isn't a sentimental type. You know, he's not going to play Pulisic just because he knows him and, you know, they have a history. He's going to play him when it's time to play him, when he's healthy, when he's, you know, fully fit and sharp and ready to go. Uh, and, you know, not before that. And the good news is that, you know, he's at least back playing and hopefully he can work his way in uh, back into the starting lineup. And, and you know, I know people, the, the kind of there's already that kind of panic and I, panic mode. And I'm not even saying panic mode among U.S. fans, because I feel like U.S. fans by now should know that Pulisic, you know, he, he can he can rise to a challenge. He can rise to the occasion when things are tough and when he needs to show what he can do. He's he, you know, we remember when he first got to Chelsea and, and it, there was that idea that, oh, he's in the clubhouse. Lampard doesn't need him and all the same stuff. Should he leave Chelsea? I still remember when he first got there, there were there was already the talk about it was this a mistake for him and i mean people just can't wait to jump on that kind of stuff and for me i, I i've been impressed with how he has responded in those type of situations so i think he will respond here i think he'll he'll kind of rise to the challenge and, and do pretty well and and the good news is right if you let's look at it logically right obviously Tuchel and Pulisic have history he played he played for him before everybody knows that everybody knows that Tuchel gave him his pro his pro debut right so if you're Tuchel you're taking over a new team big time team big time rosters serious egos all across the board some of the biggest names in the sport you cannot walk in there playing favorites and you cannot walk in there even giving any sort of, of, of impression that you're going to play favorites. So if you're Tuchel, not to say that he's going to go out of his way to give someone like Pulisic a hard time, but he's going to absolutely make Pulisic earn every little bit, every single thing. And he's also not going to push it, force the issue when there's physical issues going on, when there's potential injury issues going on. So, so I feel like people need to look at it from that perspective that, you know, it took, this is a big project. This is a long term project for Tuchel. And it really matters how he sets the tone now with that group and with that locker room. So I could totally understand why Tuchel would, you know, feel like, hey, look, I'm not going to play favorites. I can't play favorites, especially not with Pulisic. Uh, And, you know, obviously there's the whole injury issue, the whole staying healthy issue and not wanting to wear him down, figuring out the best way to get the most out of him and and to keep him healthy above all else. So I feel like people need to chill out when it comes to Pulisic. I've said that before. I'm always the chill out guy, right? I'm not the panic guy. I'm not the panic mode guy. I'm not the, oh, Lord, it's time for him to go. Let him go somewhere else. And then people want to talk about Bayern Munich. Uh, and, 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 you know, these rumors, it's just amazing to me. So if for anyone that wasn't paying attention, an outlet in Spain, an outlet in Spain that didn't even have bylines on it. And byline is the name of the writer. But there was an article from a basically a rumors website in Spain with no author name on it claiming that that Borussia Dor- uh, that Bayern Munich is sniffing around about Pulisic and that they want Pulisic they they're asking how much for Pulisic did like it's already happening right and then people run with that 
including quote unquote legitimate outlets, legitimate news outlets, take this and say, yeah, this is fine. Let's run with this, even though it's kind of like, wait a minute, it's a why would a Spanish outlet have a report on a player from that plays in England, an American player playing in England, being pursued or wanted by a German team? Why would a Spanish outlet with no writer names on it have that or get that? Think about it, people, right? So it's unfortunate the way the way it goes, the way the rumor the, the rumor mill churns, and when it comes down to it, you know, hey, look, sites are sites are looking away looking for ways to get people on on uh, to read their their websites and visit their websites. I have a website. I totally understand. I get it. I know. I know that there's that that pressure to try to uh, to to get traffic and draw people to your websites. But come on, let's have some some level of of, of 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 kind of standards right and that's the that's the disappointing thing and it's one thing for some random rumor site to, to do that because that's what they that's what you see you see it all the time that's how you get a random Turkish journalist reporting Julian Arahu to Tottenham did anyone remember that and that took on a life of its own became a whole thing and there was never anything to it it was complete fiction but that stuff happens and I, I all I would say is take a moment if you see something and you're kind of like hmm where did this come from? And if it's a if it's a site that you know, read the story and see where they got it. And if they're giving it, they're going and getting it from some random anonymous suspect site, then you ask yourself, wait a minute. Is this real? Is this even close to real? So that's all I would say with that. It's funny to me that, that how that stuff takes on a life of its own. And that's not to say Polisic to Byron is the craziest idea. It's not the craziest idea, but that's the thing. It's like you get sites and you get, you know, quote unquote reporters, uh, media outlets that they, they they're pretty much guessing. They're pretty much saying, well, what is realistic? What can, you know, if we put a story on our website about an American star player, American soccer fans will click on it because that's what they do. And I'll tell you what, folks. Every outlet in Europe understands this now, and they've understand they've understood it for about I want to say at least three or four years. That if they can find a way to write a story about an American player or a player that plays in MLS, or you know, they understand that the American fan, the American soccer fan, is voracious with reading, voracious with visiting websites and finding news. They have that reputation. You have that reputation, folks. Congratulations, but. Along with that, try to understand maybe ha- maybe maybe be a little careful with choosing your outlets. Maybe be maybe if you if if an outlet that you kind of like to go to seems to miss way more than it hits, maybe it's time to get rid of that website. Maybe it's time to get rid of that source. Maybe it's time to unfollow that account because you know what that like that there's just too much of that and it's unfortunate. So I'll get off the soapbox on that. But hey, politics back. And I think people can chill out about the politic Tuchel relationship and is it is it broken? You know, there's all this soap opera stuff. Let's see how the coming weeks play out with some big games coming up for Pulisic and, and Chelsea. Manchester United, Atletico second leg. Uh, there's some huge games coming up and some really good opportunities for Pulisic to show that he belongs on the field and to show Tuchel, look, uh, you know what? This isn't favorites. This is me being good enough to be on that field. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how how that develops. Now it was a rough, rough day, a rough uh, Thursday in Europa League for the U.S. Men's National Team contingent. Tim Weah, Chris Richards, and Brendan Aronson all saw their teams eliminated 
in Europa League. Uh, Wea and Lille lost to Ajax. Chris Richards and Hoffenheim lost to Molde, which is like, I mean, talk about a head-scratcher. Uh, Hoffenheim's just not a good team, unfortunately, for Chris Richards. And look, the, they gave up a goal uh, in a 1-0. Hoffenheim couldn't score against Molde. And to be fair, Richards was not involved in the goal, the Molde goal. Um, I don't think he was involved, you know, you know, he... Not to not to cape for him too much, but he he I mean he might be their best defender, and you know is that it's not the craziest idea, but you know what he I think he's Hoffenheim's best defender, and unfortunately there's only one Chris Richards, and that's not enough, and Hoffenheim's just a bad team, and the good news is Richards is getting invaluable invaluable experience, and it's that's the one real big disappointment in this surprise elimination by Hoffenheim is that. That's two more games he could have gotten, right? Because if Hoffenheim had made it to the round of 16, then who knows who you're playing against, uh, you know, tough, tougher opponents, uh, you know, more pressure. That's the kind of thing Richards needs, right? Because if he's going to go back to Bayern and he's going to really try to push for some playing time, and there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in Bayern right now. When you talk about Jerome Boateng, what's his future there? Uh, David Alaba's leaving. Uh, Dio Opamecano is arriving. They, they, that's already been established that Upamecano is joining Bayern Munich, but then you have Nicholas Sully, uh, their other center back, uh, is being linked to teams in Europe, in England. Uh, I think I saw Manchester United mentioned, maybe even Chelsea. So, with so much uh, potential turnover, so much upheaval with the Bayern center backs, Chris Richards, it's not crazy to think that he could be in position come next training camp before next season could be in a position to really push for a a bigger role in, in Hansi Flick's uh, center back pecking order. So, you know, we'll see. I've personally, I've been imagining an Upamecano Richards center back tandem, right? When you talk about two supreme, supremely athletic, supremely talented ball playing center backs. I mean, they can, they both pass extremely well. They move, they both move well. They both can uh, dominate in the air. Actually, Richards, you know, for those that don't know, Richards is very, very good in the air. So uh, who knows? Maybe we'll see that. Maybe we could see an Upamecano Chris Richards center back tandem for Bayern. But getting back to Europa League, rough one for those three. Aronson and Jesse Marsh uh, lost out to Villarreal. No shame in that. That's a good team. Villarreal's a good team. So, you know, it's a tough one. But there was some good news. And that's Jordan Sibachu, the young boys striker on loan from Rennes, the French striker who was born in America and who's eligible to play for the United States. He had himself a monster of a series against Bayer Leverkusen. He scored three goals, including a second, a goal in the second leg to, to send them through to the round of 16. Now, Young Boys is in the round of 16. Uh, and, net, you know, of course, reports have come out now about the, the conversations that Sibich has had with U.S. soccer. And Greg Berhalter, to his credit, again, Greg Berhalter has been super diligent about keeping in touch with dual nationals is uh, keeping those lines of, of communication open and, and letting these guys know anyone who's eligible, uh, letting them know, listen, you know, we, we are watching you. We're interested. And, and that's so important. You can't, it can't be stressed enough how important it is uh, to, to, to have that communication. And that's why, you know what, they're winning, they're winning some of these battles now. And, and they're, they are convincing some of these players to play now. And uh, Young Boys actually is getting matched up with Ajax, who just eliminated Tim Weah in Lille. 
And uh, again, another good opportunity for Sibichu. And obviously, look, is he is he getting called up by France? No, he's not getting called up by France. Uh, I believe he's eligible. I think Cameroon he might be eligible for also. Uh, but it sounds like he's open and interested in seeing what the U.S. is working with and what they're doing. And that's just another potential promising striker prospect for Greg Berhalter. And and I would definitely recommend anyone who can watch Sibichu uh, play against Ajax uh, when they play in the round of 16 of the Europa League, uh, check them out if you haven't checked them out yet. And uh, I can tell you what, Greg Berhalter will be will be checking them out. And maybe he's a player that we'll see in the March, uh, for the March friendlies in the March training camp. I mean, that'd be a great opportunity, uh, much as they as they did with Nicholas Giacchini uh, in, in the November friendlies. Uh, a good opportunity to bring him in, show him what's going on, and, and hopefully convince him that, look, this is something I want to be a part of. And, and obviously he's showing now that he's the real deal. He's a real deal. And and we've seen his name obviously float around as a possibility as an eligible American born French striker. But now he's really making a name for himself and, and we'll see if he's a part of that March uh, U.S. national team squad. Now we have to get into some disappointing and really sad news on the Americans abroad front. And that was Jordan Morris suffering a torn ACL and just, just brutal, uh, brutal news, and obviously that happened really uh, earlier in the week. It happened after it happened after the last recording of the la- of our last show. So this is it almost feels like old news. If you as you're listening to this right now, uh, you know you're kind of like, wait a minute, this wasn't uh, discussed in the la- on the last episode. Uh, no, because it's been a week. So and my apologies for that. As I have said multiple times now, I'm still trying to you know get things in order, get things lined up in terms of a schedule for the podcast. It's not going to stay a once a week. On on Saturday's podcast that much I can promise you um, I'm not going to say any more but you will see soon enough the as we kind of settle into a groove uh, you know a more frequent a more frequent uh, episode drop and, uh, and and obviously more things touched on but Jordan Morris uh, just just crushing crushing development and I know as soon as I saw it happen obviously it's just you know you just feel you just feel sick for the guy because here he is He's he's crushed it in MLS. He takes the opportunity. He goes to Europe to show what he can do and to show that listen, I'm open to this. I want I, I want to try this. I want to I want to see if I can make it happen. See if I can make it over there. And what happens? He gets hurt early in the loan. And I know some people are going to say, well, this is why he shouldn't have gone. This is why loans are a bad idea. This is why you shouldn't let players go over. Uh, before the start of the MLS season, and to that I say, no, it's not what that's not how it works. It's he can get hurt doing anything, right? He could get hurt the first week of training camp with the Sounders, right? You can't you can't just look at the injury and say, oh, he, sh-, you know, this should not be happening. This should not be allowed. Look, it comes with the territory. There's always the risk of injury when you play, but that doesn't mean it was a bad idea. It that doesn't mean other players shouldn't continue to take those kind of opportunities. It's unfortunate for Morris. Obviously, it's a, it's a super gut punch, especially when you look at the possibilities and what could have happened with Swansea and really trying to help them push for promotion to the Premier League. Could have could that have been his gateway into into going to the Premier League? We'll never know now. And now you just kind of hope, you know, he can get back and it needs to be said he suffered a turn ACL in 2018, and he recovered from that to become one of the best players in MLS and to, to to push his way into the national team. So he's done it 
before. And this time it was actually his other knee. It wasn't the same injury. Uh, it wasn't the same uh, knee that he that he injured in 2018. And, and, and you know, all we can do is wish him a speedy, speedy recovery. Uh, realistically, will he be able to get back for the end of the MLS season? That's kind of, that's a tricky one. Uh, you need to see, you know, how the surgery goes and, and, and get a sense of the timetable. But, I mean, as of right now, the Sounders have to operate, the Seattle Sounders have to operate under the, under the idea that they're not going to have Jordan Morris back. And that's huge. That's a huge blow for the Sounders. You're just not going to go get someone to replace Jordan Morris. You, it, you know, it's just not not easy. And the Sounders are already in need of, of a piece or two in terms of in terms of for, for their attack. They already needed to go get some some reinforcements. And now you got to replace Jordan Morris. Uh, and, and I'm afraid to say it, but I mean, at this point, without a Jordan Morris, you know, that's a big blow. When you want to talk about Seattle and returning to MLS Cup and winning MLS Cup, and obviously they, you know, they got to the final again. They they lost to the Crew, and if Morris were healthy, you'd like their chances to be to go right back in there. When you have Nico Ladero, Raúl Ruiz Diaz, João Paulo is you know he's sticking around now. Um, you know, Yamar Gomez Andrade really being the center back that they needed. Uh, all the pieces were there for them to be a title contender in 21. But without Morris, it's going to be a lot tougher. A lot. I'm telling you, it's going to be a lot tougher as much as, look, they still have Rui Diaz. They still have Lodero. They still have two of the best players in the league. But I'm telling you what, Jordan Morris, that's a big blow. Uh, so for me, I'm going to, it's early going and we don't know what they're going to do yet in terms of some of the other pieces they're getting. But in terms of who are the the top, top tier title contenders in MLS for the 21 season, I'm dropping, I'm dropping the Sounders out of that elite group just because of this Morris news. And, it, uh, you know, it, maybe it might sound a little premature and, you know, I could definitely eat my words on that. But as of right now, I'm going to have to drop them down a bit. I, you know, could they win? When you have Ladero and Rui Diaz, you always have a chance, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for them. Uh, and as we continue this Americans Abroad roller coaster ride, uh, we'll be heading up again with some good news, some much better news coming out of the league championship. And that was Daryl DK scoring his first goal for Barnsley. And, uh, you know, that's just good to see. And he's really uh, hit the ground running over there. And that's a huge, that's, that's huge to see, obviously. So for someone who, as young as he is and, and coming off the rookie, rookie season that he had, I mean, he is settling in nicely there, uh, in the league championship. And obviously, as I've said before, the purchase price on the loan is not a price Barnsley's, Barnsley's going to pay. However, if he can play well enough, maybe you get some of these teams that actually have the, the deep pockets to afford that. And that's really what you're trying to do. If you're Daryl DK and when you look at Orlando City and some of the some of the moves that they're making and some of the acquisitions in terms of, of forward, obviously they, they they went they went and got Alexander Pato, the Brazilian, and now they just signed another another forward. You almost wondered, are they kind of accepting that Daryl Deke is not coming back? Are they kind of positioning themselves? Because look, he's gonna probably stay there. They're probably gonna sell him one way or the other. It's kind of feeling like that. And you know, it, it's such a it's a bittersweet thing, right? Because on one hand, if he if you can sell him and he can go and do well there, that's great. If you can get a really good f- transfer fee for him, then all of a sudden you're flipping a a a basically in one year taking a player who you didn't have and you drafted and turning that into millions. I mean, that's that's still a that's huge. That's still a, a win for Orlando City, right? So uh, we'll, you know, we'll see if he comes back, but you know what? He's doing really well there and it's great to see. And, and, and that, and I've said it before, it's only positive when 
these players go over there when you see these young MLS players go and have success in Europe it's 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 making it even easier for the next guys it's it's convincing the teams in Europe that hey these MLS players can come over and make an impact and can play well and and they're not going to be in over their heads and so that that that's good to see uh and we'll see how many goals DK can score because I tell you what every goal he scores going to bring him a little closer to potentially securing a transfer so let's see let's see if he can keep it going Speaking of American strikers scoring goals, how about Josh Sargent? He scored the winning goal for Werder Bremen against Eintracht Frankfurt on Friday, and that was a huge, huge goal uh, for Sargent. And hopefully it puts some more respect on his name for the folks who had already started to write him off. There was, you know what, I'm not even going to get on the soapbox too much about it, but there were way too many people they were already throwing him to the side and the Matt Hoppy hype train. Matthew Hopi is the, the future of the striker position for the United States. And I've been saying it for, for the entire time. Listen, folks, Josh Sargent is still the guy. He never stopped being the guy. Just because Matthew Hoppy had a hot week and a half or hot two weeks, which was still great. Great to see. You love to see it. You love to see an American teenager do that. But has some respect for Josh Sargent and what he brings to the table. And now we're seeing it again. Uh, we're seeing it again and again. He's back in the starting lineup with Werner Bremen. He's doing his thing. And Werner Bremen's having themselves a pretty good season, right? So Sargent's still your guy. And for right now, he's the guy. He is the number one striker on the U.S. depth chart. The the whole Josie Altidore situation is just it's just really uh, it's pretty shaky there just because, you know, you don't know what's going on with him in Toronto. You don't know where he's going to play this year. Because I don't know if it's going to be Toronto, honestly. I mean, if you're asking me, if I have to put money down, if I have to bet, where will Josie Altidore play? And it's either Toronto or Field or anywhere else but Toronto. I would put my money on anywhere else but Toronto. And since we don't know necessarily where he'll be, it's hard to say what, what kind of condition he's going to be in when the games that matter come around for the U.S. national team, right? Which is still, I mean, Nations League is, is you know, it's important. It, it's it's something. Gold Cup, it's something. But World Cup qualifying is what matters in the fall, right? So with with Altidore's situation, all oh, just kind of, you know, can he stay healthy? There's so many question marks there. I, I'm, and I, I know I've been the main, the probably one of the main ones that have said for for so many times now that look, Greg Berhalter's going to go with Josie Altidore if Altidore is healthy still. Because he, when healthy, can still be the best striker in the pool, period. As much as some people will argue that to death, will refute that to death, when healthy and when in game, when fit, playing regularly and playing consistently and and, and is in that top form, Josie Atzor is the best striker. He still is the best striker in the pool and a great fit for Berhalter's system. His hold-up play, his ability to combine with his teammates, but he can't stay healthy. And we don't know where he's going to be. We don't know where, you know, so there's so many question marks there. Josh Sargent's your guy, and this goal against Eintracht Frankfurt showed once again why he is the guy. And before I I wrap up on Sargent, let's not. Let's not lose sight of the fact that this is this goal that he scored for Bremen against Frankfurt was actually a huge one for his teammates, his his U.S. men's national team teammates, John Brooks and Gio Reyna, because Eintracht Frankfurt is in the battle for the top four Champions League spots in the Bundesliga with Wolfsburg, with Dortmund. So right there, 
Josh Sargent just did his boys a favor. He just did, you know, he put, he hands a defeat to Frankfurt. Werder Bremen is crushing it. Werder Bremen is in third place right now. John Brooks is having a great season for Werder Bremen. They, I mean, I'm sorry for, for Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg could be in the Champions League next season. The way they're going, I mean, they're, you know, they're shut out streak. They, they, they have the set. I, I believe it's still the second stingiest defense in the league, second to RB Leipzig. And they're at third place right now. And, with Dortmund struggling and Dortmund kind of, you know, obviously not at their peak yet. And now with Eintracht Frankfurt stumbling, Wolfsburg is looking good. And we could see Josh, we could see John Brooks in the Champions League next season. That would be absolutely great to see. But uh, back to the beginning, Josh Sargent, big goal. And hopefully he can continue to, to do that. So, yeah, there's a lot of American strikers scoring goals. Not just DK, not just Sargent. Aaron Johansson has uh, has found a home in Poland for Lech Poznan, and he has scored in the, his first two games with 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 Poznan, and uh, he's looking good. He's looking good there. And and if I'm Greg Berhalter, and look, I know the Polish league. Say what you want. You know, it's not it's not the Premier League. It's not La Liga. It's not the Bundesliga. Certainly, it's not Ligue 1. It's a you know, it's a middling. It's a middle of the pack. European League, but still, Johansson has been scoring goals. He scored goals uh, in Sweden, and now he's scoring goals in Poland. He is scoring goals, and he's confident, and he's showing that he's 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 in a good run right now. So, if I'm Greg Berhalter, I'm calling him in. I'm sorry, I'm calling him in. Uh, is it going to happen? Obviously, you got Sergeant. You want to call in? You got Matthew Hoppy. You want to call in? Um, so that's two right there, right? And then bring in Aaron Johansson. I think you do it. I think you bring him in, see what he, see where he fits in, see how see how he looks. I think it needs to happen. I think it needs to happen. Just if he's going to continue to score goals, do it. Absolutely do it. Don't just make it Sergeant and Hoppy. If anything, you want to have that other striker there. You want to have that third striker there. And I don't think we're going to see MLS uh players obviously with the MLS season about to start. I mean, these guys aren't playing right now. Josh Sars isn't playing right now. So, um and Josie Altador, you know, who knows what's going on with Josie Altador. So if you're looking at those March friendlies, you have Sargent, you have Hoppy, Hopi, and then you have Johansson, and you also have Nicholas Giacchini, you have Jordan Sibachu. You got a lot of options. You got a lot of striker options. So you know what? Maybe you can't bring Johansson. Maybe you have to bring, uh, you know, Sibachu if, if he accepts a call-up and if he's, you know, willing to come in. And obviously you have Giacchini as well. So a lot of strikers, a lot of strikers. All of a sudden, there's a lot of striker options for Greg Berhalter to look at. So it's a it's a good it's one it's one of them good problems, as they would say, as they said on the wire. Um, but yeah, great to see, great to see. Uh, and and now we're gonna go back down on the roller coaster. Weston McKinney uh, continuing to play and play well. Scored another goal uh, at the beginning of the week. He scored his fourth goal, breaking the record uh, previously held by Michael Bradley for most most goals by a U.S. men's national team player in Serie A. His fourth goal in Serie A. And I saw some people say, you know, most goals ever by an American in Serie A. And then I get onto my soapbox and, and have to point out that Giuseppe Rossi is an American. I don't care if he played for Italy. Giuseppe Rossi is an absolute American Jersey boy. And we know he scored more than four goals in a season in Serie A. So put some respect on Giuseppe Rossi's name. And that's why you have to say most goals in a season in Serie A by a U.S. men's national team player. 
great news. Great season for Weston McKinney. And you know what makes it even more impressive is the fact that according to Andrea Pirlo, Weston McKinney has been playing through a hip injury. He's been playing, he's been gutting it out uh, on a team that's, you know, they've had their other injury issues and they've needed him to gut it out and he's done it. And it just adds to the mystique, right? It just adds to the respect level that you have for McKinney and you understand why his teammates love him. Juventus teammates love McKinney. You, you can just, you can't fake that. You see how they are with him. Um, so it's not just, you know, obviously he's playing well and that's big. That's the most important thing. Obviously when you play well, you get the respect, but if you play well and you're playing through an injury and you're playing and you're playing hurt and you're gutting it out and you're showing you're tough and you can, you know, put some spit on it. I'll get out there. It doesn't matter. My teammates need me that man. That's gold. That's the kind of thing that just endears you to a team. And obviously there's nothing that's been announced officially yet in terms of whether or not Juventus is going to purchase or, or exercise the purchase option but we all know that's happening we've known for a month now if not more that they're gonna do that it's a i mean i think it's what is it 18 million eight it's i think it's like eight an 18 million dollar purchase option which is a bargain i mean let's be serious here as well as he's played he's worth trip double that at least so it's a no-brainer it's happening in case anyone had any doubts, I doubt anyone paying attention still had doubts, but they're going to buy McKinney. Weston McKinney's staying at Juventus for a while. And just hearing that, uh, Andrea Pirlo tell that story and actually reveal that he's been playing injured, that's, pff, man, if you didn't already have respect for the guy, a lot of respect for the guy, that gives you a little more respect. And I know some people will say, uh, you know, the... The uh, there's always some there's always the argument there's always the people who like to to kind of have the op, the opposing view. Some people say, well, why is he playing injured? Why like why risk it? Because you know what? Sometimes you can play with something. Sometimes you can play through certain things, and then it comes out, then it comes down to what you can handle and what you can manage and what you can deal with. And look, if Weston McKinney has a, a high pain threshold and he can fight, then. He'll do it, and he's shown he can do it. So great, that's great to see for a player who is so important to the U.S. men's national team. And you know, I, I think it's a it's a safe bet that if he had to gut it out and play through something for the U.S. national team in an important match, he would do it. I have no doubt about that because that's the kind of guy he is. That's the kind of player he is. So uh, if you're a U.S. fan, you probably already were. You're, you probably already love McKinney, but that just adds to it. It just makes him even more. Just more lovable for U.S. fans. In wrapping up uh, on the Americans abroad front, uh, Julian Green has has been sidelined by COVID nineteen. He has tested positive for COVID nineteen, and it's just so you know. Obviously, you know, as as of right now, it sounds like he's you know he's doing okay. You know, he's going to recover, but he's missing some important matches uh, for Gruther Firth, who obviously they're in the fight for promotion to the Bundesliga. They're in that contention that, that you know, they're still a bit of an underdog to be promoted. Uh, but Green has been having a huge season, a big season. And obviously this is a setback for him. And the real disappointing part is if if this ends up kind of being what keeps him out of the picture for the U.S. men's national team for the March friendlies, as much as I didn't really think he would necessarily get a call. Uh, but this this probably probably takes it away. It probably it's probably makes it that much easier for Greg Berhalter not to call in Julian Green. As great a season as he's had. Uh, and hopefully, I, I still say, and I still think he's someone who has a part to play. 
and hopefully he can get back healthy and 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 you know get over recover from COVID nineteen. Obviously, you've had you know a good number of American players who've who've gotten it, recovered from it, uh, and hopefully he can too and, uh, and and get back to playing the way he's been playing, so he can put himself on Burhalter's radar and potentially get on a Gold Cup team, Nations League team, something because I think he has a part to play. And I think he's a good option in terms of central midfielders. Absolutely. So we'll see. We'll see if he can. Uh, we'll see if he can recover from that. Last but certainly not least on the Americans abroad front, American teenager Francis Jacobs is joining Rangers on a move from Orange County, the USL club. And for those who don't know, Francis Jacobs, uh, when he signed his professional deal, became the youngest player to ever sign a professional soccer deal. Uh, in America, youngest men, men's player, uh, and breaking Freddie Adu's record, and he, uh, you know, he's still out. Uh, th- th- look, this kid is a project, right? There's no no two ways about it. But he has a UK passport, and apparently the passport is what is obviously making it possible for him to go to Rangers, even though he's only I still I think 15, 15 I want to say fifteen. Uh, and obviously under FIFA regulations, you're, you're you're not even supposed to move until you're you know sixteen. Um, you know, if you don't have a passport, uh, but he, he he's able to do it. Uh, he's still look this Francis Jacobs is very much a project. He's very much. A, uh, I don't want to say project, but he's very much a prospect. He's very he's someone for the future. But th- there's talent there. No question about it. He's someone to keep an eye on. He's a name to remember. Uh, but he's a few years away from really pushing himself into the radar of like, you know, terms of national team and that sort of thing. He's still early days, early days, but I just wanted to get his name in there for those who hadn't heard the news and hadn't heard about this young, young, young player, American player heading to a team like in Rangers, very, you know, very good team, a team that's obviously thriving under Steven Gerrard, the manager there in Scotland. And, uh, and we'll see just uh, write that name down. Francis Jacobs will we'll, uh, hopefully be hearing a lot about him. In the years to come. In U.S. women's national team news, the U.S. women defeated Argentina after defeating Brazil to secure the She Believes Cup again. And let's face it, there wasn't much doubt that the U.S. women were going to win this thing and win running away and shut out every opponent and just kind of dominate. That was what was expected. That's what we got. The, The real question about the tournament was... Who is going to emerge to really impress uh, Vlako Donovsky as he tries to figure out who he's going to put on his Olympic qualifying team? I mean, I'm sorry, on his Olympic team. And it's I would not want to have to make the decisions and Donovsky's going to have to make when you see, you know, so many players, so many options. Christy Mewis continuing to build on the big year that she had. Uh, Rose Lavelle continued to do what Rose Lavelle does. Uh, then you have some of the older players like Carly Lloyd, Megan Rapino, obviously still being being her dominant self. Alex Morgan, uh, Kristen Press, obviously with, you know showing well in the tournament. So many attacking options. Kat, and then you, you know Kat, Katarina Macario didn't even really get get going in the tournament before she 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 went back to France early to to return to Olympic Lyon for their Champions League campaign. And I'll tell you what. It's not it's not going to be easy. There are going to be a couple of players that don't make this Olympic team, this U.S. women's Olympic team that are going to shock people just because there's so many good top, top level options. So many players who aren't going to make this team who would absolutely start for every other team in the world. That That's how deep this U.S. women's team is. So uh, it, it was, uh, you know, it was good to see against Brazil the U.S. play well. 
because obviously the Canada game wasn't wasn't really a great performance, wasn't a memorable performance. It had some of the rest that maybe we should not have been surprised by. But Brazil, the Brazil win was a, was just kind of a real chance to show to kind of remind anybody who had forgotten why anyone would forget. I don't know, but to remind everybody, look, this U.S. women's team is still the best team in the world by a good margin. And obviously Argentina, that was never that, there was never any doubt that they were going to just pummel Argentina. So now, now it's now it's time to see, it's time to see who Endonovsky calls on and how how the NWSL season kind of shakes out and who who you know takes advantage of that that season to really show that you know they they're the ones that should be be selected. And I mean, I think I think the I think the Olympic team is pretty much mostly settled. Maybe there's four or five or three or four spots up for grabs, but it's mostly settled. And, the U.S. are going to be favored to win gold by a wide margin, and you know, we'll see. It's going to be. I, I I've said. I, I almost like what. How would a second team do? How would a second U.S. women's team do? Like, if you could have two U.S. women's teams in that tournament, would anyone beat the second team? Really? I mean, no disrespect to the Frances and Englands and and Germanys of the world, but man, there's so much talent. There's so much talent in that U.S. women's pipeline. Looking forward to seeing how they do, how they dominate, because they're going to, I think they're going to dominate in the Olympics. And I just hope the Olympics happen. Knock on wood, knock on wood. Let's hope it happens. And now wrapping up, we'll wrap up with MLS and some big news. Uh, Yeah. Some disappointing news. Uh, Sacramento is they've lost their lead investor for their expansion team. And now the Sacramento MLS expansion bid is up in the air. Now there's a question of is Sacramento still going to get an MLS team now? And it's uh it's all really falling apart for Sacramento. Super disappointing. I mean this thing has dragged on for so many years now. I still remember meeting with the group from Sacramento back in 2015 at the MLS Cup in in Columbus and sitting with them and hearing the the plans that they had. And this was 6 years ago now. 6 years ago they had everything in place to get going and to start a team. At that point they had the city support um they didn't really have the big money investor, but they had everything else. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen. It dragged on. They needed to find an investor. They found an investor, so they thought. And obviously the pandemic is made is shaking things up and has apparently led Ron Burkle, that main investor, to back out. And now MLS is a, you know, not not to say they're left scrambling, but now they have to consider some things. Now they have to consider their options. And decide if they're going to stick with Sacramento or cut bait and look at some of these other opportunities because there are clearly other opportunities. There are other other markets that are interested in joining the league. And what needs to be remembered now is the league has already expanded quite a bit and it already has teams ready to come on board. You're looking at Austin, obviously, coming on board this year. You're looking at St. Louis uh, coming on board after that. Charlotte coming on board after that. So... There's already a considerable expansion happening. So if if Sacramento falls through, there's no rush to fill that spot. There's no rush to to replace them in that pecking order. Although, clearly, there are some teams, there's some cities that are interested. When you talk about San Diego, Phoenix, Las Vegas, uh, Detroit. Uh, So there's options there. Uh, So, so. I feel bad for Sacramento because I know they have the fans there. I know they have the the fervent support for soccer there. They have a soccer culture there. They have a community. 
that loves the sport, but they don't have the money. They don't have the big bucks owner, the big bucks backer to make it all work. And that's that's unfortunate. You need it when you're talking about 200 million to 300 million dollar expansion fees and also running a running a team, building a stadium and and having the the financial muscle to not just get a team into the league, but get a team into the league and build a team that's going to win, to build a team that's going to compete and build a team that's going to fill a stadium. That takes money. And right now Sacramento does not have an investor to bring that. So we'll see if Sacramento can find another one. I don't know where <laughs> they're just billionaires just not laying around waiting for, you know, waiting to buy into Sacramento. So, I mean, I hope they get it done. I hope they do. I, I want to see Sacramento in MLS, but if not, it becomes very intriguing. Does San Diego figure it out finally? Does Las Vegas make it happen? Um, there's some, there's some interesting possibilities there in terms of other markets. So, MLS is going to be okay. MLS is going to find somebody. They're going to find an. Uh, they're going to find a market. They're going to find an ownership group to fill that spot. And the time will tell if it's going to. If it'll be another owner in Sacramento. Speaking of people who are stepping away from their commitments, Thierry Henry has stepped down as CF Montreal slash the artist formerly known as the Montreal Impact. He's stepping down as, as head coach, uh, citing family reasons. And I know the immediate kind of cynical reaction to that was, oh, okay, yeah, family reasons as in the job he wants to take in England. And uh, I, I don't know. With this one, I feel like it maybe it isn't, it shouldn't be laughed off as, as not real. I, I mean, look, the pandemic situation is not an easy one. And you got to remember, when Thierry, when Thierry, Thierry took the job, he took the job with the idea that, you know what, he would still get to see his family, that, you know, he could fly you know, fly back to England, have them fly here, fly to to the Americas, uh, and that there would be that back and forth and there'd be that connection. And not only don't you have that now, but now with Montreal and everything that the Canadian teams are going to have to deal with, the hurdles that they're going to have to go through with this MLS season, much like last season, it's a lot. It's a lot. And if you're Thierry Henry, when it comes down to it, you don't need the job. You don't need the money. You can wait. You can wait. You can go, you know, be with your family now, bide your time, and then come the summer, there's going to be opportunities there. He's too big a name. The World Cup is around the corner. You know what? And not to say he'll he'll get a national team job, but if there's not a club situation, which I think there will be, I think he, he'll find a, a club team will come calling for Thierry Henry. As much as the Monaco job did not work out and and that that's not a great shining star in his resume he's still Thierry Henry and he will get another opportunity but I can't knock the guy for wanting to you know be with his family and not deal with everything that they would that they would have continued to have to go through it's not what he signed up for and uh it's still you know what he doesn't have to do this and I'm sure at the end of the day he's like you know what it you know I I Stuck it out last year, went through the whole year, but I can't do this another year, and and I can't blame them. And unfortunately for Montreal, you've built a team, you've you've made deals, you've made moves with Henri as your manager in mind, as your Henri as your head coach, and now they have to go find and scramble for a coach who hopefully can some has a similar vision and who hopefully will look at this roster and say, yeah, you know, this can fit with what I would like to do. 
not easy. Not easy by any means because every coach wants to, you know what? Every chef wants to pick his own groceries, right? Because they want to have their ingredients to cook, you know, to cook up uh, a winning team. And we'll see what Joey Saputo can do and who he finds. And I think there's going to be interest. I think there's, look, there's always managers looking. There's always people uh, interested in coming to MLS to be managers, to be coaches. So I think they'll be okay. But I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed to see Henri go because... You know, I thought he could do well as a coach in MLS. And obviously the pandemic just really just, you know, it obviously screwed so many things up. And it's just a disaster for so many more important reasons than 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 soccer in an MLS season. But it really it really it really cost MLS something because MLS had an opportunity to be that kind of platform for Henri as a coach to flourish. And also for the league to use his star power and to to kind of promote him and 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 use his charisma to really promote the league and this and the whole and the pandemic really just shot that down from beginning to end and it's unfortunate. So hopefully you know Henri gets gets an opportunity to manage and and continue on with his his career because I think he can still be a great manager, uh, a good manager at least. Uh, but Montreal, I don't know who they're going to turn to. I don't know who they're going to hire. It's not going to be easy. Now, last, uh, and I I think I want to say least, uh, you know, I don't normally report on or or, 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 there's not usually police blotter stuff to get into when you talk about MLS, you talk about American soccer. But uh, unfortunately, Orlando City player Jonathan Suarez was arrested and charged with uh, sexual assault and. He has been suspended by Orlando City and MLS. Uh, he was on loan from from uh, I want to say Quereta. He was on, he was on loan from Mexico from a Mexican club to to be with Orlando City. And now, I mean, this was whew, man. I mean, for those who missed it, I mean, they, not only was he charged, but then they had the whole public perp walk where they had TV cameras, uh, you know, show him and his brother both were arrested, charged with sexual assault. Uh, and it's just an ugly, ugly scene. And, and it, it's just, it's just so, it just it makes you shake your head. Just, you know, just, just dumb. And it's obviously innocent until proven guilty. Uh, and I, I gotta say, I'll be full disclosure. Like for me, I was a little bothered by the whole perp walk thing, just because again, what, what, what happened to innocent until proven guilty, but you know what, he's been charged and, and now he's going to have to deal with that. And it's, it's, it's definitely a black mark. It's definitely an ugly, an ugly mark on MLS for a guy, a player who hasn't even played in MLS. And now at this point, I'd say it's safe bet he never will play in MLS. Um, so that that one was a that one was a little cringe. I mean, that's definitely something more that I mean, even I mean, you don't even I, I try to think. When's the last time you saw an active player? Uh, and I'm sure I'm blanking and forgetting somebody. When's the last time you saw an active professional athlete? being led away in a perp walk in, you know, in full, you know, jail attire, handcuffed, being led away on a perp walk in the middle of the night, mind you. That I thought that was interesting. I thought the the fact that they had this whole video camera perp walk set up in the, at, in the middle of the night. Uh, I mean, when's the last time you saw that? That was the, yeah. So that was an ugly scene. That was an ugly situation. And, and you know what, if he, obviously if, if him and his brother are guilty, then you know what, he's, he's going to receive the punishment that, that he deserves. But it's just, I mean, honestly, I'm sitting here now. I'm like, why did I even bring it up? But it needs to be, it needs to be addressed. You can't ignore, ignore this kind of thing. And obviously Orlando's going to have to deal with that. Um, and you know, face the music on that front and Orlando city's had issues in the past, but nothing quite like this. I mean, it, it was, it's one thing for 
Kyle Lahren to, to get hit with a DUI and, and have there be kind of an embarrassing video come out of the arrest and all that. I mean, but that that's like small potatoes compared to how ugly a scene this was. And, you know, you definitely don't want to see that become a thing that happens in MLS. You know, you want to you know hope this is kind of a one off thing. And I think it definitely is. Uh, it's good that he's never played in MLS. So, you know, the MLS can hang their head on that. And the fact that, you know, as much as he signed here, he hadn't played here and it, whatever. Either way, it's still ugly. It's still ugly. And it's something Orlando City is going to have to, you know, they're going to have to deal with uh, answering questions on. Uh, but, yeah, just ugly scenes, disappointing all around. The good news for Orlando City is that there, there's, you know, I want to say there's more positives for them to point to and to look at than negatives with Daryl DK and his successful loan right now and, and, and Orlando City continuing to sign players. The, the Alexandra Pato signing obviously got him, uh, some serious, serious coverage and headlines across the world, especially in Brazil and, and, and really tapping into that Brazilian market. So things are still... On balance, pretty good for Orlando City, but the, the, yeah, the whole Suarez thing. I'm sure, I'm sure the Orlando City front office is kind of like punching, punching air, like hey, we everything was going so great, and now this just black eye happens, and uh, it's a, it's unfortunate. But you know what? That's yeah. This is just. I mean, people just need to learn. You can't. You gotta. You gotta be able to behave. You gotta behave yourself, people. You can't just do these kind of you know, just sickening, uh, disappointing, just crazy things. Uh, it, you know. Again, innocent to proven guilty, but the charges are the charge itself is 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 an ugly ugly scene. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. And now, and now I'm going to wrap up. I'm going to wrap up with uh, with some 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 sad news. Um, former New York New Jersey Metro Stars <clears throat> slash New York Red Bulls slash U.S. Under Twenty and slash Colombian National Team goalkeeper coach Des Macalinen died recently he uh he passed away he was found he was found uh deceased in ireland he, he's he's from ireland he was in ireland um most recently he was the head coach he, head coach sorry he was most recently he was the goalkeeper coach of the columbia national team and uh he came down with covid19 and he, he kind of was you know left out to dry a bit by the columbia national team at least that's that that's what you kind of get the sense happened uh based on the reaction from former columbia coach carlos Queiroz, who was the manager at the time and who is who hired des macalina and the reason i want to uh, the reason i want to talk about it is just because for 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 a few reasons number one uh, you know, I knew I knew Des really well, and I mean, I, I knew him more than twenty years. He was a coach in New York with the Metro Stars when I was starting out as a writer, and I got to know him really, really well. And he was an absolute top class guy. I mean, life of the party, in, super intelligent, funny as can be, keep you on your toes. Um, he was just a great guy. He was just a great one of the best people. I, I. Had the, have had the pleasure of meeting and getting to know in my 25 years in this business, in in you know all the of all the people I've met, he's absolutely one of the best. And you know, obviously, you know, misunderstood and loved the job, and he helped so many people. And you're seeing it now. You know, you, you, I just read something from Mike McGee, who obviously worked with him with the Metro with the Metro Stars uh, when Mike McGee was starting his career, and Mike McGee had glowing things to say for for what Des uh, McAleenan was able to do for him, uh, and also D- David Ochoa, the Real Salt Lake uh, U.S. and slash U.S. under twenty goalkeeper. I mean, he's clearly devastated. 
uh, at the loss of someone who obviously worked very closely with him with the U.S. under-20s and had really become a mentor for him. And if you want to go back years and years and years, Des McAleenan worked with Tim Howard when Tim Howard was coming up and starting his career in New York. Des McAleenan was, was Tim Howard's goalkeeper coach when Tim Howard made the move to Manchester United. And and I know there's always been a little bit of a a little bit of a uh, contradiction in terms of, of of who you know how much of a role he played in that and helping that happen. But for me, I know the guy put in so much work and 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 touched the lives of so many players and and not just players, just every everyone who dealt with him and 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 had a chance to be be with him. I got a chance to spend a lot of time with this, and he was he was an unbelievable guy. And 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 I feel bad that I lost touch with him. Because he was so special and he's someone who, you know, for, for a good 10 years, I spent a lot of time with. And, and now, you know, you lose touch with people, people move on. He, he, he had jobs all over the world. I mean, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, obviously Colombia, most recently. Uh, but he was, he was something, he was something special. And I was lucky enough to reconnect with him in recent years and, you know, saw him at a U.S. practice and, and, and reconnected with him and, you know, I'll never forget my last conversation that I had with him. Uh, I want to say it was a year, a year or so ago. And, and, you know, he really kind of it was a great conversation just talking about the state of U.S. soccer and, and a lot of different things. And, and one thing that that will stick with me that he told me was to kind of like to get back to, to, to really calling people on the uh, on, you know, calling out the B.S. and not being afraid to kind of use my voice and, and, and speak my mind and. I used to do that a lot more back in the day when I was just a, one of these kind of, you know, no holes barred columnists, you know, and I used to write a lot of columns and, you, used, you know, re, really used to go at people a lot. And, um, you know, he used to, he, you know, he was there for that. He was there for a lot, a lot of that. And he's such a special person. And I mean, I got to say, uh, not to not, not to bring the, the whole thing down, but listen, folks, reach out to your reach out to your people. Keep in touch. Call those people that that you haven't talked to in a while, and that you wonder about, or that you worry about, or, or people that you reconnect with, you haven't connected with in a while. I mean, I'll be the first to say, I mean, I hadn't talked to my brother in a minute, and then when I when I had saw that news about Des, it made me call. I, I had to call my brother. I'm like, I need to know how he's doing, and and, and and it's sad, but those kind of things make you open your eyes and realize time flies, and it's easy to lose touch, and it's it's easy to kind of you know not stay connected with people. And obviously, you know, I had just last month my my grandfather passed away, and that and that was a that was a big blow for me. That was you know that one hurt, and this one was similar be, just because of the guy, the type of person that he was, and you know, he. Uh, I don't want to get into like I don't know the, like the official what happened in terms of how he died, and there's already reports about you know. Whether it was, you know, because he dealt with the Des dealt with depression and, you know, was it that? Did he take his own life or this or that? But look, he was a selfless person who helped so many people. And I, and I think that's what people should remember. And I wanted to take this time to, to, to tell his story for, for those who maybe didn't know it. Because he was very much a behind-the-scenes person. Goalkeeper coaches don't get a lot of shine. They don't get a lot of notoriety or recognition. They don't. Uh, assistant coaches, you know, they're in the background unless they become head coaches, Right. And and but they can still influence players. They can still have an impact. And he had a huge impact on a lot of people. And it just it just breaks your heart. It breaks your heart to know that he was such a special person, and that, and that 
at the end if, if, if that he was in a bad way. And I, I'm sure I'm not alone and feel like, man, I wish I could help them. And I'm sure a lot of people feel that way that they could wish they could help them. And if we can take anything away from this is that, listen, take, if you have time, take time to call people and stay in touch with people and reconnect with people. Check on your, as, as, as Royce, the five nine said so eloquently, check on your strong friends because it's your strong friends or the friends that who seem strong that maybe are the ones who need that phone call and need that reassurance and that reconnection and, and that, Hey, how you been? You know, do that. Think about that. If you're listening to this show and you're listening to this right now, I want you to think about one or two people that you haven't talked to in a while and that he, and who you care about and that you're just, you just want to call them and, and say, what's up, do it. Two people. You know what? And, and you know, if it's, and if, you, if you haven't talked to your mom, talk to your mom. If, if, you know, if you have her, talk to her, call her, call, her, call your parents, call, you know, but think of your one or two friends that, you know what you want to call, do it because you never know. Life is short. Life is short. So I'll end on that note. Uh, so I'm sorry to be such a downer on this, but man, this in this time in the in, in the in the pandemic, it's just with everything that's going on. It's easy. It's easy. It's easy to just lose sight of things, you know, take things for granted. So just appreciate what you have and appreciate the people in your life, uh, the family, the friends, Appreciate it all and appreciate this game that we're lucky enough to have to distract us from the craziness to distract that distra- to distract us from the sadness and the and the hard things, you know, to go along with the good things, because you know what? There's still good things out there. There's still good things to appreciate. So uh, I'll get off the soapbox on that and just say thank you for listening. If you're still listening, uh, we'll get this rolling. I promise you I will get this show rolling on a more regular basis. Um a lot of things in the works. I'm feeling really good about where SBI is headed, where I'm headed in terms of the things that I do as a journalist. I, I've got a lot of things in the works that, you know, if you've been following me, you've been with me for the through these years, my 20 years in the biz, I'm telling you, things are coming. Some good stuff. So I'm excited. I'm excited. I think I'm ex- as excited as I've been since I launched SBI independently in 2008. That, that's how excited I am. So Stick with me, folks. A lot of good things ahead. So that's all for now. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Ivis Clarset. This is the SBI Show.